was this morning. Um, you know, a couple of weeks ago we celebrated the resurrection of, of Jesus. You know, this is uh, something I find striking is that the uh, the resurrection of Jesus has always been the main celebration of the uh, the Christian church. Uh, Christmas wasn't really ever celebrated until about uh, the fourth century, but the resurrection has has always been the the celebration. And, and in fact, it has a lot to do with why we gather on a Sunday morning. It happened on the the first day of the week that Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, the, the first day of the week was called in the church, the early church, the Lord's Day because of this. It was the day that the uh, the church gathered each week to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper. Uh, the first day of the week was when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church in uh, Pentecost. And the, uh, yeah, the resurrection was at the very core, is at the very core of our faith. You know, and, and we need to keep it in the forefront of our minds. This, this passage that we're going to read today a lot of times is used for, for an Easter message. So this is kind of Easter part two today. Daniel Henderson last week uh, sent out a uh, devotional. And I, I like what he said. He said that uh, about Easter. Now that the special church services have concluded... And the new Easter outfit has been showcased, the chocolate bunnies have been eaten, the eggs have been found, and the family gatherings have dispersed. What do we do with the message of the resurrection now? What do we do with it for the rest of the year? He says, I find it easy to blow past Easter weekend and remain unchanged, but we dare not put the idea of Christ's resurrection into the Easter weekend box and pack it away for next year. Rather, Christ wants the reality of his resurrection to be the central power and passion of our lives every day of the year. So our text today, as we move along in Philippians, we're going to start in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 11. Let's read that together this morning. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks he has any reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your word. This is just a, a reminder, Lord, of uh, the, the need for us to, to pursue you with a passion, Lord, that we, we want to uh, know you, to experience you, to be with you, Lord. Open our eyes today and, and teach us from your word, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we have this annual celebration, Easter. I love Easter. Uh, we need to keep it in the forefront throughout the year. Why? Because we serve the living Christ, the resurrected Christ. And Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know him. He says, I want to know him in his, his person, in his power, and in his passion. So first, we want to know Christ in his person. You know, one of the amazing things about the Christian faith is that God wants to know us. He wants us to know him. He wants to have a relationship, a personal relationship with us. You know, all the religions of the world set up this this God that we need to appease with something to to get to him. You know, this 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 God that's this distant and and disconnected. But our God, the the true God, the the creator God, the infinite personal God desires for us to know him, to be close to him. He wants us to seek him and be with him. And we, we see this desire in Jesus as he chooses his disciples in the, in the book of Mark chapter three, verse 13 and 15. Listen to what it says when Jesus called the disciples it says, he went up to the mountain and called to him those who, whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed the twelve, whom he also named apostles, that they might be with him, that he might send them to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Now listen to that. The first thing he says is he chose these disciples that they might be with him. You know, I love what... James says in in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 8. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a promise. You know, Paul places a really high value on, on knowing Christ. You know, for him, knowing Christ surpassed anything that could have had any value at all to him. You know, this this knowing Christ is an experiential Knowledge. It's not just a, a knowledge of the head, you know, knowing about Christ. It's not theoretical. It's, it's experiential. And, uh, you know, I, something I find desert, disturbing as I, as I read over church history, you know, especially starting in the 1800s, how many people who were theologians were atheists, People studying God who didn't even believe in him. Even today, that's, that's the case. One of the foremost scholars of uh, Greek manuscripts and uh, 
biblical studies is a guy named Bart Ehrman. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he he doesn't believe in God. He makes a living analyzing New Testament Greek manuscripts, you know, trying to determine you know what what the what which manuscripts are best and what they say, but he doesn't know Christ. He doesn't know what this this book is about, what these manuscripts are about. It's just academic to him. It's just theoretical. But you know, this experiential knowledge of Christ that Paul is talking about, you know, knowing him, it's, it's not something that we can inherit. It's not something that's passed on to us from our, our parents. You know, this, this knowledge of Christ needs to be real, just as my knowing you, you know, talking to you, listening to you, being with you needs to be personal and it needs to grow as we get to know him better and better. You know, we all run the risk of just knowing about him. You know, we can, we can read the Bible. We can, we can have a, a theological system and know it up and down. We can, we can memorize things. We can go through the motions We can do a lot of work, but just as Paul says, you know what, without Christ, without knowing Christ, it's, it's loss. It's not worth a thing compared to knowing Christ. So, you know, when we seek to be religious apart from knowing Christ, the results, a a distorted view of God. We have a distorted view of, of the scriptures. Peter talks about people who, who twist the scriptures in, instead of knowing Christ. In uh, 2 Peter three sixteen through 18, he's, he's talking about the writings of Paul. And, and even then, he's, he's calling these writings of Paul scripture. He says, there are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But listen to this, he says, but you grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, you know, what's the, what's the cure for a distorted and twisted view of the scripture? It's knowing Christ, knowing him, growing in him growing in that knowledge. So, you know, Paul didn't know Jesus when uh, Jesus walked on earth. I'm sure he knew about him. I'm sure he'd heard about him. I'm sure he thought pretty poorly of him, looked down on his followers, uh, probably criticized them, criticized what Jesus was doing. Uh, Paul had a great background in religion. He knew the scriptures. But he didn't know Christ. Paul had, or excuse me, God had plans for Paul, though. You know, unlike uh, Jesus' disciples who were with him daily for, for three years, observing him, talking to him, learning to pray from him, Paul was a latecomer. You know, Paul, as Saul, though, had an encounter with, with the living Christ on the, on the road to Damascus. You know, Paul, Jesus met Paul where 
He was. Paul was on his way to uh, persecute Christians, to put them in jail. And uh, Paul very quickly learned that all this stuff that he had done, all this work, added up to zero, nothing. All the, all the things he'd accomplished, they were just a, a cheap substitute for, for knowing God, for knowing Christ. Let's go to verse 2. Paul says, Beware of the dogs. Watch out for the evildoers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are of the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I guess Paul wasn't a dog lover. Uh, G. Walter Hansen, in in a commentary, he says, Dogs were not the uh, lovable, huggable pets pets and companions that we have they were they were regarded among the most despicable animals insolent miserable creatures dogs were despised because they would eat anything including dead animals human corpses and even their own vomit so paul is using this this interesting term dog he says by emphasizing the uh, boundary line between the jewish people and the gentiles and demanding that Gentile Christians must identify with the Jewish people. There was this group called the Judaizers who uh, excluded the Gentile believers from the people of God. And they called these Gentile believers who were uncircumcised dogs. Uh, Even though the Gentile believers were uh, followers of Christ, they were considered by this group to be unclean unclean as dogs since they didn't conform with the uh, the purity laws of the, of the Jews. And uh, it's kind of interesting. Paul is kind of turning this word back on them. He's using this, this word for, for the Judaizers themselves. Uh, you know, I don't think we, we run into people these days who uh, are pushing towards us being circumcised to be Christians, but, you know, how does this warning apply to us? What do we need to watch out for? You know, many of us have encountered or maybe we've been brought up in environments where maybe holiness was was measured in terms of what we didn't do, the things we avoided. I can remember as as a kid, uh, one of the men in our church came over to our house and one of us might have been me was was playing cards on the floor playing solitaire and this this guy uh flipped his top that the pastor would allow cards in his house you know following the rules making up rules that go beyond the rules that's what paul's talking about we need to have a hunger for christ uh, on, on Saturday mornings, by the way, the men's group, I'd encourage men for you to, to come to this. Uh, we, we just started a book by A.W. Tozer called The Pursuit of God. And uh, we, we just started. We're, I think we're on the second page. We've only gotten through a couple pages uh, of the first chapter, which is called Following Hard After God. And it, it talks about ha- having a hunger for for God, having a passion, a desire for him, you know, wanting to know him. And the, the writer of Hebrews, 
says something about this, about knowing God with faith, by faith. Without faith, he says, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So Paul wants to know Christ. And he goes even further. He says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. So we need to know the power of Jesus and his res- resurrection. That article I was telling you about by uh, Daniel Henderson, he said that uh, resurrection is a lifestyle. That was, that was the name of this blog. The resurrection is a lifestyle. You know, it's a way of living our lives. It's knowing the living Christ, knowing the resurrected Christ and living by his power. You know, without the living Christ in our lives, we, we have nothing. Without his presence through the Holy Spirit, we're on our own. You know, without the resurrection, we're like the rest of the world with, with no hope. You know, my nephew died a couple days ago, but he's okay. He's, he's with the Lord, and we have that hope. That's the difference. The resurrection makes all the difference. We follow the living Christ. Now, this excludes self-trust. Paul says to people who rely on themselves and their own power and, and their own religious practices, if anyone can boast about their own accomplishments, guess what? It's me, he says. I, I was this and I did that. I did these things better than anybody else. But he says, I realize it was it was a waste. All that didn't amount to anything at all. It was garbage compared to what I have in Christ. Jesus speaks in, in the book of Revelation, uh, Revelation 3.15. He speaks to the church of Laodicea, which is a, a church which is not living in the power of Christ, not knowing Christ. In fact, Listen, listen to what Jesus is going to say to them. They've, they've shut him out. They've shut Jesus out. In verse uh, 15 of Revelation 3, he says, I know your works. You're, you're neither hot nor, or cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and not hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This church in Laodicea was very self-satisfied, very self-reliant, but powerless. You know, they felt they were doing just fine, but they were self-deceived. Uh, they, were, they were deficient and didn't even, didn't even realize it. You know, brothers and sisters, we can be like that. You know, surely it was staring them in the face, but they would not acknowledge that they needed more than what they had. Jesus goes on in verse 19 and he says, those who I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. These people in Laodicea had, had shut him out. 
So we need to, we need to know and we need to experience the sufficiency of, of Christ. You know, we need to repent of our, our own self-sufficiency and, and our own self-satisfaction. You know, Paul, Paul calls this self-satisfaction and sufficiency uh, confidence in the flesh. You know, what, what is the flesh in the Bible? You know, I think a real simple definition of the flesh is that's us, that's our natural selves minus the Holy Spirit. You know, it's our, it's our natural strengths, our natural talents, our natural efforts, all that we do without the Lord on our own. That's, that's the flesh, you know, and we might be able to do things well on our own. We might work hard. We might accomplish a lot. That's what Paul is saying he did. He's saying here, look, you know, if anybody has a right to brag, it's me. It's me. You know, if anybody can boast in the flesh, it's him. He says, I was a very religious person. I, I came from a pure lineage. I've, I've got this pedigree. You know, I can trace it all the way back to, to Benjamin. He's saying, oh, and I followed the law. I followed it better than anyone else. In fact, I was a Pharisee. Nobody follows the law like Pharisees do. My, my theological system was watertight. So much that uh, I, I took it upon myself to shut out outsiders. Not only did I shut out the outsiders and made it hard for them to come in, but I persecuted them. These followers of Jesus, you know, I wanted them out of there. I wanted to demolish them. Oh, and, you know, did I say I, I followed the law? Yeah, to a T. Uh, everything I did was right. But he says, you know what? All this that I thought was so good, all of this that I thought was gain was absolutely worthless. My righteousness ended up being nothing but self-righteousness. It was nothing because it came from me. I counted his loss. Into the garbage can it goes, he says. What did Paul consider worthwhile? Knowing Christ. This gain, this gain, knowing Christ through faith, taking on Christ's righteousness, not his own, not depending on himself, but depending on Christ. You know, our our power as Christians without the Lord, without Christ, is, is a dim bulb. We're like a flashlight with a, with a dead battery compared to the power of the sun, you know. Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, the power of his resurrection. I want to experience the the power that can only come from Christ. I want to know the power of Christ to overcome sin, to overcome temptation, to endure hardships when they come. You know, do, do we experience power? Why is it that we so often do not? You know, why is it that we experience it so dimly at times? When we lived in Arkansas, Russellville, Arkansas, it seemed like whenever the power would go out, it would go out on our street. Whenever there's a big storm, the power would go out. Our first summer there in July, we lost power for for a whole week. And what was really interesting about this is we had a power plant three and a half miles from where we lived. We were practically in its shadow. 
This power plant, Arkansas Nuclear One, it uh, it could produce almost two terawatts of power. That's that's a one with twelve zeros after it. It's a trillion ter- or a trillion watts. It's enough to power fifty percent or fifty six percent of Arkansas's needs for power. Right there, right in plain view, we could see the steam going up, but we had nothing. We were we were missing our connection. Somehow. There was a, a disconnect. Uh, you know, some of our neighbors had, had generators. We envied them. But, you know, even those generators were, were nothing compared to the uh, two terawatts of power that were just sitting right there. They were disconnected as well. Uh, Corey Tim Boom wrote a book it's called not good if detached and it it's a picture that is based on Jesus's uh, description of of us in relation to him and our connection that we need to have with him it's a picture of a vine he's the vine where the branches uh, John 15 5 says this he, he said I'm the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and I in him he it is who bears much fruit for part from me he says, you can do nothing. We can be very religious. We can be very sure of ourselves, but completely disconnected, completely devoid of power, completely fruitless. You know, when we, when we don't experience his power, we're spiritually dry. You know, we, we need to look to that connection. We need to make sure that we're we're connected and, and attached to the source. We need to abide in him. We need to yield every aspect, every area of our lives to him, to his lordship. No holding back. We need to be all in. Knowing the power of Christ and his resurrection, that's what we need. What's the difference? How are these are related? Knowing Christ and knowing the power of his re- uh, resurrection. Uh, Tim Keller says, the difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of his resurrection is the difference between knowing a person and resembling a person. It's not about relationship, but about supernatural character growth. He says, when Paul says, I want to know him, it means I want to be with him. When he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, it means I want to be just like him. He says, look at the deadness in your life. Look at the anger. How is that going to be turned into forgiveness? Look at the insecurity. How is that going to be turned into confidence? Look at the self-centeredness. How is that going to be turned into compassion and generosity? How? The answer is that the dead stuff gets taken over by the Spirit of God. The minute you decide to receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of his resurrection, Jesus' resurrection, the same thing that that raised Jesus from the dead. So we want to know Christ. We want to go beyond knowing Christ. We want to know the power of his resurrection. We want to be like him, to be conformed to his image, to abide in him, let him work in us and through us knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection. Paul's passionate about this. We need to be. 
The next step is to say that uh, I will follow hard after Christ. I will seek him, abide in him, rely on him to work in me. The next step is to say that he will do this no matter what. No matter what sort of adversity or hardships result, we will do this. We will follow hard after Christ. Paul says that I may share in his sufferings. This is knowing Jesus Christ in his passion. Becoming like him in his death, Paul says, by that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what does it mean to share in Christ's sufferings? Uh, you know, suffering isn't something that we normally uh, seek after, is it? You know, we, we'd rather avoid it. We'd, I'd, re- you know, I, I'll admit, I'd rather be comfortable. Uh, you know, we and, and we don't need to actively look for ways to suffer. You know, we we especially don't want to bring it upon ourselves uh, by our own uh, foolishness or, or obnoxiousness. You know, let's let's consider Christ's suffering. You know, Paul spoke in chapter two. Remember of Jesus. Coming as a a servant, a suffering servant, how how Jesus emptied himself and came to us as a servant, as one of us. Uh, You know, the prophet Isaiah spoke about the suffering suffering servant, Messiah. Isaiah talked about Jesus being, uh, you know, led to the slaughter like like a lamb. And, you know, the amazing thing is he, he did this for us. He, he bore our sins. He bore our sorrows. In the days before the uh, crucifixion, uh, Jesus told his disciples about the suffering they were going to go through. John sixteen thirty two. he says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, you will leave me alone. But yet I am not alone. The Father is with me. I have said these things to you that you may have peace. Listen to this. In the world, you will have tribulation. That's a promise. In the world, we'll have tribulation, but listen to what he says. Take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, expect suffering. Don't be surprised when it comes. But he's saying we don't have to be in turmoil about the suffering that we're going to encounter. He says, be at peace. Jesus is the, the overcomer himself. He's the overcomer and we are in him if we are his. We can have victory because he is the victorious one. But he said we can expect persecution and suffering. John fifteen eighteen through 20, he said, uh, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before I hated you or before it hated you, excuse me. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Um, I don't know that we really know persecution here. You know, maybe, uh, you know, definitely not like like what Jesus suffered. Uh, You know, maybe uh, the world ridicules us. I've been ridiculed for my faith. Maybe they're uh, dismissive of us. Maybe they just think we're fools. Maybe we face uh, mild discrimination as, as believers. Nevertheless, we need to be bold in our witness. 
You know, in, in other parts of the world, our brothers and sisters are, are dying. They're being uh, tortured, murdered for their faith right now, right at this moment that's happening. They're, they're being disowned by their families. They're, they're losing their jobs because of their faith, you know, and maybe the time will come when we're persecuted, but we can't worry about that. Jesus said, be at peace. I've overcome the world. Listen to what Peter says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in in that name. So, you know, we haven't really suffered too much, I don't think, as, as Christians. Time may come. And we need to count any any loss that we suffer as gain. Jesus said in Luke nine twenty three to twenty four, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so, as we sacrifice our lives for for Christ in in any way, any small way, we share in in some small way the the suffering of of Christ. At the same time, we have the assurance that we share also in his resurrection. That's our hope. That's our our well-founded assurance that, that we have, that we will be with him in eternity. So, as we close, we need to... We need to know Christ. We need to, as we know him, realize that that we have access to the the throne of the Father through him. Because because he lives, we can experience his power and his presence through the Holy Spirit. The the resurrection, again, is at the core of, of the Christian faith. You know, not only does it, anchor our our theology but it's absolutely essential in in the way we live it's a way of living the resurrection is a lifestyle so we cannot pack up the easter box and put it away for the rest of the year we we serve the living christ yeah so like paul we need to see the futility of our self-effort you know it's 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 better to realize at the presence, the uh, or at the present, the worthlessness of our efforts for Christ. Um, it's good to know that now. Yeah, I think I'm afraid a lot. A lot of people reach the end of their lives before they before they make that connection, and then it's too late. If if you don't know Christ today, today it says in the Bible is the day of salvation. Uh, believe in him for for the forgiveness of your sins 
receive him as your savior. Turn to him. If you uh, do know him, you know, let's, let's seek to know him even better. Let's seek to know him even more. Let's seek to live in, in his power. You know, let's, let's give ourselves to, to getting to know him through, through his word, through prayer, spending time with him. You know, let's, let's rely on him to do what we cannot do on our own. Rely on the, the living Christ, the resurrected Christ. Make it a lifestyle. And no matter what comes, suffering, adversity, maybe suffering, ridicule, it's okay. No matter what, he's with us. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we we want to know you more and more. We want to grow in grace and, and in knowledge of you, Lord. We want our knowledge of you to be experiential, Lord. All the things that we hold so dear, that, that we hold so tightly, Lord, they're they're garbage compared to knowing you. Uh, Lord, let us know the power of your resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit that we can live in you and have the power to be overcomers, Lord. Uh, what a what a privilege it is to, to be with you, even, even in uh, trials and, and temptations, Lord. You're there with us. Thank you so much. What a, what a great thing it is, Lord, to, to have true hope, to have full assurance of eternal life in you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and join us in singing, I Surrender All. Words are on the screen in the hymn book, number 408. Savior, oh.
from Second Peter that I read earlier and continue it to the end. Grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 